Good to see everybody and welcome to worship. Hope you got a bulletin so that you could follow along with. Uh, there are several announcements if you want to turn to the back there. Let me first begin by welcoming you. I've shared it with the elders and I'd like you to know so that Stacy and I can use your support. Uh, many of you don't know my third daughter or my third child, my second daughter, Abigail. Uh, she's exciting. She's full of energy. She's going through her nursing degree. She has one semester left. Uh, prayerfully, she's already signed contracts to work on a neuroscience uh, level in the hospitals when she graduates. But we've been told that she's pregnant. And so we don't know the guy. Uh, we don't know the situations. Uh, it's hard on Stacy especially because we're not there. Uh, we've been trying to work for several weeks and revealing with our children and how that fits in and how that's going to play out. And many of you have been there before. But God never ceases to amaze me every time I think I figure him out. Uh, he seems to bring more steps to grow me. And so I pray for your patience, compassion, that your pastor still finds a way uh, to realize when things don't always work out as you plan, you have to accept they're better, that he has something greater, and that we're able to somehow demonstrate that compassion, care, and most importantly, that we can reclaim, uh, restore, and renew a spirit in her life, and even uh, the gentleman, if that so ends up being who she's with. But just pray that the decisions she makes now in the next several months will be the decisions that don't affect her the rest of her lives. Uh, we don't want her to marry just to marry. We don't want her to quit school. We don't want her to do those things. And so uh, pray for us. And I say that because I want everybody to know, but I want you as our family to know. Uh, once again, you'll be able to minister to us as we try to go forward and continue in our family as well. So please, as we go to the Lord in prayer, if you would just keep that on the side, we pray for you and we would appreciate you uh, praying that God would give us wisdom as we handle this situation as well. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us to that throne of grace and mercy. And then if you would, join me in the Lord's prayer. It's there in your red hymn book if you need it, that you could pray along with me. So please, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, the mercy. It's all there this morning as we learn. Here's the writer of Hebrews reminds us we come to a throne of grace to find mercy. Lord, we found it as your son Jesus Christ died for us. The one thing we needed most and the only thing we'll ever need is to rest alone in the sacrifice that he's made for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for coming to us in the form of flesh. Lord, we do pray uh, for many in our church family. Lord, I pray that you'll be with them and strengthen them as they work through ministering to their own children, their parents, uh, as they make decisions to serve you faithfully around the world. As we bury our loved ones, Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen the families that have to work through that. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for Stacy. I pray for our children uh, as we go forward. Uh, and Lord, just discerning the plan you have for us and that you would strengthen and sustain us through these times. And Lord, I pray for the service this morning as well, that Lord, you would just bless each and every one here this morning, that we could all boldly come to that throne of grace together. Lord, we've never earned it. We've done nothing on our own to deserve it. And you remind us regularly that you want us there. So Lord, we come together as a body praying as you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so let me call us to confession. You'll see there from Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's take just a moment as we corporately confess our sins together before the Lord. If you would, please pray with me. Eternal God, we confess that often we have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And as we always find assurance throughout the scriptures, it's the place we always turn when we're trying to find God's guidance and when it comes to assurance that there truly is mercy and grace at the throne, we find it here at this time as we continue in the Psalm of 130. It says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so what a great reminder that wherever we are, we have a God, a great high priest, as we learned today, that truly forgives us of all our sins. And so able to do that, being cleansed as if the sacrifice is afresh, we're also able to openly confess our faith, to share together that which we have deemed to be true. When we confess our faith, we are simply doing a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches. In no way, I was asked one time about why we confess the creeds and the confessions so often. In no way do they replace the scriptures. We truly believe the scriptures are the sole basis of all that we believe. But the confessions and the catechisms are succinct statements, summaries, able to communicate to others in a summary uh, form of way what we believe. And so here in the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 33, as we've been working through them, I'll read the question, if you'll join in confessing your faith or belief in the catechism, was the covenant of grace always administered after one and the same manner? Covenant of grace was not always administered after the same manner, but the administration of it under the Old Testament were different from those under the New as you turn over question 34, well, how was the covenant of grace administered under the Old Testament? The covenant of grace was administered under the Old Testament by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Passover, and other types and ordinances, which did all four signify Christ then to come, and were for that time sufficient to build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah. 
by whom they then had full remission of sin and eternal salvation. And then it finally asks of the covenant, how is the covenant of grace administered under the New Testament? Under the New Testament, when Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the same covenant of grace was and still is to be administered in the preaching of the word and in the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, in which grace and salvation are held forth in more fullness, evidence, and efficacy to all nations. That is what we uphold, is that Christ is still the plan of salvation today. I encourage you to think about that as I lead us in prayer and ask the ushers if they'll come forward to take up the offering. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all your blessings. Again, Lord, we want to give back just a portion of what it is that you've blessed us with. Lord, let us put you first. Let it not just be the funds that we give back to you, but Lord, help us to put you first in all things. It's the money that we rely on so much to take care of our needs. It's the funds that we put forth to help secure our future. It's these funds that help us find security amongst others in our position in society. Lord, as we give back to you, it's a way of saying none of these matter as much as putting you first and giving back to your kingdom and to you that which we trust in most. Father, we trust that you will use it beyond our bounds, beyond this church, and beyond even our means to be able to further your kingdom and to accomplish your will. Father, that you would get the praise and the glory for it all. We ask in Jesus' name. I hope that you brought your Bibles along with you so that you could follow along and take notes and keep up as we've been working through together in Hebrews, a wonderful sermon that the writer has given us to follow Christ. And so this morning, I want to speak to you not just about Jesus, the great high priest, but about our confidence that we have in Christ. We come to a transition point where these next few verses in the last part of chapter 4 prefix the entire next sections clear up through chapters 10 where we're talking about the high priest. We've already seen Jesus compared to Moses and the angels, but the writer now wants us to see the most important part that when you put Jesus next to Aaron and the priesthood, there really is no comparison. There is no way to put the two side by side without Jesus being so superior. So this morning I challenge you, whatever it is that you have next to Jesus Christ, I say go ahead, make the comparisons. Make the lists, write them down in your own life. My life with Jesus will look like this and my life without Jesus will look like this. I promise you if you're faithful to doing every aspect of your life under every condition of your life, I would bet it's hard to say what my life would look like with Jesus Christ. Because for so many of us, we've only put a few things down there that we've let him touch. We've still got a whole lot of things on there that we still have to say to ourselves, what will my life look like when Jesus has all my life? Rather than what it looks like without him. We're challenged this morning to see the need for a priest. The verses begin to 
put us in the context of realizing that we need something to be in the presence of God. Back in the days of Judaism, we realized in the Old Testament, we had a tabernacle, we had a structure of the Levitical priesthood, we had the sacrificial system. Nobody came to the presence of God without an offering, something to appease them and to have something to say to the king on his throne Bear with me as I enter your presence. Have mercy on me. I want to ask of you something, and I want you to spare my life. Please let someone like me come into your presence and ask for something without you killing me. Esther would be a great example of living out those truths of one who would say, let me go into the presence of the king, knowing that her life may or may not be spared. The lack of confidence... In the presence of the king always taints what we ask for. I remember when Nehemiah was going back to build the walls. If you remember, he went before the king and he said, If it pleases you, let me ask this. And if it pleases you even more, let me ask this. And if you don't mind, let me at least ask this. And as you know, did the same thing as Abraham journeyed through Lord, if there be only one, if there be 50, he started out. But if it pleases you, how about only 25 or only 10? You see, we're in the presence of the Almighty. We lack confidence. I don't even really know what that would feel like today. Honestly, I've never been around any one person that when they're in the presence around me, that I almost feel like I should fall, bow, and ask them to spare my life. But one day I will. I'm told that will happen. Whether I like it or not, I am told that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that we want you to spare our life. So the writer here in Hebrews takes us quickly through a journey. Let me take you on this, where we realize we need something to draw near to God I like the phrase, it's put in its subjunctive, passive tense in the Greek. You may not understand all that, but it's about coming to God regularly. It's not just about coming one time. It's about drawing near, the future indicative, the present, the active, the ongoing. You can put it in the aorist tense if you want. It's the whole teaching that when we're beckoned to come near to God, it's an ongoing process. We don't just come to God one time. And think we have enough to live the rest of our lives without any more grace or mercy. Boldly come, we learn. Someone has already satisfied what is necessary. There's already been someone who's provided a sacrifice, who has become the sacrifice, who was able to appease God, who was able to make all things right, was able to propitiate his wrath, take away the enmity, and that person according to the original, was the great, great priest. That's its translation. Do you know who that is? Jesus. And since Jesus has done all that, here's what the preacher says. Verse 14, chapter 4, Since then we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a priest or a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. For you English teachers, did you catch the double negative? 
We do not have one who is not able to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I'm not going to be able to divide into this. If you were to have your interlinear linear Greek-Hebrew or Greek-English study Bible along with you, raise your hands, right, if you have that this morning. But you will notice when you have those, if you don't have one by one, there are a lot of help. There are a lot of fun. They have the English Bible, and in between every line, they have the Greek or the Hebrew written out for you. And this is one of those passages that's empty. Because this is one of those passages where we have inserted a lot of English words to make the context make sense. If you like the New American Standard Bible, which is still one of my favorite, especially the older version, it's very choppy reading because it's literal. It pretty much tells you what's in the text. If I were to read it to you like that, it would sound like this. Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all things tempted as we are, yet perfect. Draw near with confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace. Receive mercy and find grace in the time you need it. It's amazing there at the end of this verse, to help in time of need. That is one word in Greek, eukairos. We are trying to explain it in English, and before I even preface the sermon, I want you to realize that the throne of grace was there to help you in time of need. The eukairos, what it really states is this, the throne of grace is there to help you in needly time. Somehow put that in one word. In other words, you come to God when you need it. I'll explain a little bit further as we go, but listen to the importance of verse 14. Let me give you a few things we'll talk about here this morning if it helps make sense. First of all, verse 14, let's learn that there is a sacrifice for all our sins. This is a high priest who made a sacrifice for all our sins. First century Judaism, we learned you don't enter the presence of God without an offering. The great high priest or in this case in the Old Testament, just the high priest, would go into the presence of the Almighty by entering the Holy of Holies. Catch the analogy of the Sermon of Hebrews. Jesus passed through the heavens. As the Old Testament high priest would pass through the veil and leave the earthly realm or the regular realm or the holy place where the people are and enter into the holy of holy place where he could be in the inner sanctum of the presence of God. Of course, let me be honest with you, it was only temporary. For they always had to return. For none of them had anything that they could offer God that would allow them to permanently reside in his presence. But yet we have a statement here as our writer reminds us that we now have a high priest, a great, great priest who has now entered through the sanctuary, if you wish, through the veil, and resides in the permanent throne of heaven, in that throne room of God, permanently. Doesn't have to come back. 
doesn't have to have anything else, was able to completely appease God, and now it's made a difference. Now, I don't want to spoil the story from you, but if you read the book of Revelation, which is an amazing story for us to read, it reminds us that Jesus, as the great, great priest, does come back. And just as that Old Testament high priest would come back from the inner sanctuary to come back to those who would eagerly await his return, they would know that the sacrifice was acceptable and they were right with God. Our great, great priest reminds us that he's no different. Though he is able to return to the throne room of God and to be at the throne of grace, he will return to his people who eagerly await him to remind them that the sacrifice was acceptable and they are able to enter the presence of God themselves. This morning, you were reminded at the crucifix that when Jesus died, what took place at the temple veil. It was what? In the King James, it was what? It was rent in twain. It was torn asunder. It was opened. It was there now for us to come. But it's not without a sacrifice. Please understand. So many who misunderstand. Jesus did not open the veil so that we could enter God's presence by ourselves. You are still a sinner. And you are unclean. Unless you're under the blood of Christ. And since Christ is there, you are able to come now without an earthly priest. Without an earthly pastor. But don't you dare ever try to enter the heavenly sanctuary without the sacrifice of the Son of Christ and Him being your high priest. For then it would be no different than in the Old Testament when they would tie a rope or put on bales to the priest as he entered into the Holy of Holies because they never even knew if he would be acceptable to God. They didn't know how God would respond to this person because he himself was filled with sin. And if his atonement for himself was not right, he couldn't atone for others. And in the presence of the Almighty, he would be struck down and they would have to pull him out from the Holy of Holies. For who would dare enter the presence of an Almighty who was still angry? I think it was Edwards who wrote us a mighty, mighty message. Sinners in the hands of what? An angry God. You see, the writer begins to tell us we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. He goes a little bit farther, first and foremost, and tells us we don't need anybody else on earth to be in the presence of God because we have a great high priest. We have one who has entered through the veils, if you wish. We have one who has accomplished into the presence of God. It is now Jesus who is there. It's not the blood of the bulls and the calves or the goats. We read that in Hebrews 10 and 9. We have something superior. You this morning have an offering that was placed before God for you. And when you go between that torn veil's parts, you have all the confidence you need. Because what lies before you is what would be no different than what lied on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. 
You have a permanent sacrifice in the presence of the Almighty that prepares you to speak boldly to the King. Oh, you may not have the words, the Holy Spirit will give them to you. You may not have the works, that's okay, Christ has done them for you. And you may not know what's coming, but that's okay, the Father's will will be accomplished. And it's all in the inner sanctum and the near presence of our Father in heaven. Just where are you this morning? Are you still living outside the veil? Pastor, you just don't realize what all's happened in my life. You just don't realize some of the decisions I've made. You just don't realize the hurts that I've caused. If you only knew the amount of sins that were in my life, you would realize while I'm so hesitant to go forward in this life. If people just learned the truth of who I am, they would look at me so differently. Well, let me ask you this. If the people knew you were truly the child of God, would they look at you differently? Or do you like to look the same as the world? Unrecognizable amongst others. And so what's the difference? You see, coming into the presence of God is amazing for since we have this great high priest who has gone through the veil, who has permanently resided, who is there in the throne room of heaven. That same place that we have been told that when Moses went up on the mountain to come back and build a tabernacle, do you remember what his blueprints were from? You ever been to an architectural drawer before? You ever been to someone who draws plans? Have you ever tried to read the tediousness that takes place in those plans? Boy, you ask someone sometimes, hey, let's go get the help of an architect because we want to build a house. And when you get the plans back, do you know how many pages that you get for that plan? I think it's like 399. One page tells you what they're going to do. One page tells you how they're going to do what they're going to do. Then they explain why they're going to do how they're going to do what they did. And why they did how they did what they did. And they go through it. And before long, you just go like this. And you're looking through the pages. Who cares? What you want to see is what? What's it going to look like? That's all that matters. And when you enter into the presence of the Almighty, the great architect who had the plans of the heavenly sanctuary that truly exists, it wasn't a figment of his imagination. It wasn't just a fable for us to help understand the truth of the past. Moses was taken to the mount where he saw the heavenly sanctuary. The place where Jesus now resides at the right hand of the Father. In the reality of the spiritual existence for those of us who join that presence one day. There is a place for me. Jesus said he's prepared it beforehand, and he'll come again. And as my great, great priest, he'll receive me unto himself, that where he is, what? I will be also. Oh, I hope you don't think it's an unreal place where you'll have an unreal future, an uncertain future, which causes all kinds of doubt, which now leaves us in the place with a lack of confidence. Do you have confidence in the presence of God this morning? You won't find it on your own. You won't find it through what you've accomplished. If you find yourself self still doubting about your ability to be with God, 
I would remind you that we have a sacrifice once for all our sins. Who now says you have the right to come into the presence of the Almighty with confidence. Take them to the throne of grace. It is there that we realize that we find the forgiveness of all of our guilt, all of our sins. That Jesus is this great offering. Why should we hold fast our confession? Verse 14. Because Jesus is worth it. That's the answer to the question. Because Jesus is worth it. He, has, he is the sacrifice for our sins. But secondly, look at this. He is also sympathetic with all our weaknesses. Not only is that all our sins, but listen to what verse 15 says. We do not have a high priest who is unable. Put the two negatives together. You know what that means. I'm talking about math here, right? Put two negatives. You get a what? A positive. I'm not an English person, but even in English, two negatives make a what? In other words, we have a high priest who does. That's the truth of the statement. It's not that we have to guess whether or not he can or can't, been there, not done, been there, done that. I don't know what your relationship is, but we have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize. Listen to what he tells us about our sins. Just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we believe and therefore we confess. Listen to what he says here. We now have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because in every way, listen to them. He's been tempted and is what? Take that word without sin, circle it, and put the different terms out there. To be without sin would be the same thing as to be a sacrifice without blemish. Would be to be a sacrifice that is perfect. And how much greater can you get than perfect? I used to think I was a little bit above that. I like to think things in my life that no matter how good something is, I can always be a little bit what? Better. I remember my coach telling me in soccer one time, if someone's a little bit faster than you, you know what you do? You run faster. If they stay a little bit farther ahead of you, you what? You catch them. See, there was no giving up. There was no way to concede. It was always whatever they're going to do, you're going to what? You're going to do better. You're going to be the standard. You're going to have to go forward. And when it comes to Jesus, he's the high priest. He's the perfect high priest. And because he's actually a little bit more than that, the Bible calls him the great, great priest. And I don't know how you can get a little bit more than perfect unless you're God. You get it? And Jesus was who? A little bit almost more than perfect. It's almost as being divine. And the writer says, we have a high priest who is not unable because he is God. He is everything, all things. The Greek actually writes it this way, when he is to be tempted in every respect. That is not what the Greek says. The Greek says pantos. For those of you who study Greek, it's simply the word that means what? All things. He has been tempted in all things. Oh, it makes sense to be in every respect because we like to think, well, he was tempted with lying and he was tempted with cheating and he was tempted with discrediting the truth. In every respect, it's it. But the truth of it, it says he was tempted in what? All things. There's nothing out there that he does not understand that you face. 
He's been through it all. He understands it all. He was tempted in so many ways. It began in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was tempted to turn from suffering for the Father. Maybe, like Jesus, you've been tempted to turn from suffering for what the Father's asked you to do. Father, if there be any other way than for me to have to go through this, I'll do it. And yet Jesus said what? Not my will, but thine. Perfect. Oh, and he was tempted at the cross. Can you imagine when the people hurled all the stuff at him and they simply said, listen, why don't you just bring yourself down and get over this? You don't have to go through with all this service. You've done enough. You've gone far enough. You've proven your point. Just bring yourself down. Maybe this morning you too are realizing, I don't know how much farther I can go, but I've done enough. I don't have to keep doing this. I don't have to prove anything. I'm not sure how much longer I need to do this. I think they're right. I've done my time. I've done my share. I've done my part. Are you tempted to quit serving? Or maybe it's kind of like Satan himself in facing Jesus in the wilderness and tempting him to leave God's service completely and to turn on him, to challenge his word. There's a better way. You don't have to go through it his way. If I were to paraphrase Satan's temptation in the wilderness today, let me just put it out there for you this morning. You don't have to go through Jesus to get to heaven. There are many good religions out there. The Bible has a lot of good truths. All religions seem to have good what? It doesn't have to be just one way to get there. Is that your temptation this morning? Is Jesus the once for all sacrifice? Is Jesus the sympathetic Savior for your weaknesses? He's been there. Oh, I remember in the military, his name was Teddy Kimmerman Mintz. I don't know where he is today. I think he's actually serving now as part of the military or the chaplaincy to the government officials in D.C. area. He was one of the few chaplains when I went in years ago back in the 90s who was already decorated as an enlisted soldier. And I remember asking Teddy, I said, Teddy, why in the world are you as a chaplain if you've already been serving? He said, well, I served 10 years as an enlisted soldier, and now I'm ready to be a chaplain. And I said, what made the difference? We were teasing. We said, just because of the pay? If you know how that works, it's, it's probably not right. But what a difference the pay in the officer ranks. And I'll never forget, I'll paraphrase, when he said, no, the truth of it is, I think as a chaplain, I can relate to the soldiers a whole lot better than you chaplains who've never served. Just took a shot right at me. I'm still faster than he is. I won't lose. But he made the point that 
He wanted to be the chaplain who knew what it was like to go through Paragon Trail, to hit the Fort Dix sandblast, to know what it's like through the gas chambers, to see what it's like when you can't see before you and you can't breathe the oxygen and you can't hear the commands and that you're lost in a cloud and you're trusting someone else to lead you through it all so that you can make it to the end and you can be successful. There has to be someone who understands that if I'm going to trust in them. And Jesus served all four branches. He's the great, great priest who walked amongst us in the flesh and can sympathize with every move you'll make. I remember when Teddy, my great servant, took me through the gas chambers. I didn't know this, but some people are not allergic to the gas. How many of you know that? It's just like anything else. It affects others differently. Teddy came to me, put his arm around me, and he said, Brother Jerry, I'm going to give you a bit of advice. I've been through this many a times. When you get down to the end, you're going to be looking at a guy. He's going to point you which way to go. Hold your breath until you get past him. When you get to the other end, you're going to turn. I can't remember it. Don't even breathe. You ain't got much farther to go. Well, I couldn't do it. I followed him through. They pointed me out. And then when we got out there, I saw Teddy doing this number. The pterodactyl. And man, I came out, nose a gushing, eyes a pouring. Just, it was a mess. He said, Jerry, do what I'm doing. So I started doing this. Opening up my lungs, trying to get oxygen to wear the stuff out. I said, Teddy, it didn't affect you the same way. He said, well, I didn't tell you one thing. The gas never gets to me. <laughs> He'd already been there. He'd done it. I didn't know that was even possible. But he was taking me through. And if I would have just trusted him to know that whatever he was doing, even if it didn't affect him, he knew how it was going to affect me. You don't have to say that just because Jesus didn't sin, he doesn't understand. That's not true. It's not the sin he needs to relate to. It's the temptation. Because, folks, you don't have to sin. That's your choice. You have a high priest who can sympathize with you and has gone through it and can take you through it. And if you'll just keep your eyes focused on the finisher of your faith, you will realize that regardless of how the sin affects him, he knows how it will affect you. And he's already paid the price. You can come before the Father no matter what. Yes, he's a sacrifice for all our sin. He's sympathetic with all our weaknesses. And finally, he can supply for all our needs. Listen to what it says in verse 16. Because of all this, let us with confidence continually come to the throne of grace. Draw near. Keep drawing together. Let us continually come to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy in time of need. I don't know where you are. There are several times that I find myself in a time of need. And I run to the throne. 
Sometimes as a parent, I have to humbly say to myself, I haven't been very gracious. I haven't been very merciful. For as time goes on, I realize I have these things in my heart that say things like this. You only call me when you want something. You only come by when you need something. You want to borrow something. You only make contact when you can't figure it out yourself. In other words, you only come to me in time of what? Which is exactly what it means to be gracious. The throne of grace. Oh, as a pastor, I have probably failed even more miserably. You only come to church when you need help. You only show up when it's your turn to serve. You only come when you get to be the leader of the committee. You only participate when it happens the way you want it to happen. In other words, you only come to church when? When you're in need. Which is exactly the throne of grace. Do you not hear what Jesus is saying that separates him from everybody else? You can't take advantage of the throne of grace if you only come in time of need. Because the time he tells you to come is when? In time of need. Listen to his words, not mine. It's with confidence that we continually come to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and the word for uncover, to find, to uncover grace, mercy, and help at the opportune time. Let me paraphrase. We come to church when we need it most. We call our friends what? When we need it most. We call on our parents when? When we need it most. And we find ourselves at the throne of grace when? When we need it most. The point I want to encourage you this morning is just what kind of throne do you have for your children, for your workers, for your church members? Are you still looking at it as you only come in time of need? If that's the case, we should change our attitude because that's exactly what Christ said we should do. We should be able to let people come to us in time of need. And you know what they find? Grace and mercy. If you've never heard it before, it's not a fair analogy probably, but I'll summarize it again. The throne of grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Isn't that amazing? That it's in our time of need that we come to the Father through Christ. And we get what we don't deserve. And we don't get what we do. We get the compassion, sympathetic, Supply 
of a once-for-all sacrifice. Oh, I don't know where you are this morning, but I will tell you that it summarizes everything. That's why we have confidence. Not in ourselves, not in our works, but because we have a great, great priest who made a once-for-all-time sacrifice to supply for all of our weaknesses and to supply all of our needs. What more could you ask for when the veil was torn? Are you willing to come into the inner part of the presence of the Father with confidence? Knowing in a time of need, he's there with grace and mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can draw near, that we can keep coming. That there in the courts of heaven, one day we'll be at that throne forever. But Father, bring us near regularly today. Wherever we are in this Eukairon, this time of need, this opportune time. Father, let us not treat others the way you don't treat us. Let us not be gracious the way you've been gracious. Let us not turn from being merciful the way you've been merciful. Father, let our church, let our families, let this spiritual kingdom truly be a picture of your mercy seat. The same place in that tabernacle where the sacrifice would be placed, the blood would be shed, and it would cover us. Only this time, Lord, we know it's forever. That through Jesus Christ, we don't have any more sacrifices to make. We can simply come knowing that he is there, that he's waiting for us, he's beckoning us, and he's prepared for us. He's even equipped us and made it possible for us to come. Father, through it all, whatever the grace and mercy, please take the glory for it all. In Jesus' name I pray. Addiction Paul simply said, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all God's children said, amen. amen. Have a great Lord's Day.